When this podcast comes out, we'll be exactly four weeks away from the tip-off of the Atlantic 10 Men's Basketball Tournament. But until then, you're listening to the A-10 Talk Podcast. I'm Sam Basil alongside Daniel Frank. Daniel, you just got here from a pretty big game. Uh, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing great tonight, Sam. I apologize to the viewers that you're, this is once again the vo- all the voice you're going to get from me tonight. But, it, you know, it's nice this time that I'm coming off of a win and not a double over- overtime loss like it was last week. So happy to talk some A-10 hoops tonight. Yeah, so uh, for those of you who might have missed it, uh, Daniel just got back from George Mason and Richmond uh, as George Mason took down Richmond in overtime, 87-84. They came came back from some some pretty interesting deficits at some points, uh, very back and forth in the final couple minutes, minutes but uh, a huge win for George Mason. So, Daniel, can you talk about, you know, what allowed Mason to come away with the win tonight? You know, it's funny. My first reaction is I honestly don't know, which is a terrible thing to say on a podcast that we're analyzing a game. George Mason found this was the epitome of a find a way to win game. I mean, George Mason got down. I think they were down eight points in the second half, and it, it just felt like the game was starting to snowball away from them. And then. All of a sudden, they, the defense found another gear, and I give the defense a lot of credit. I mean, they were able to get stops at really key moments. And, I mean, that that's during the last three-game skid that Mason's had with the slew loss, the loss at LaSalle, and then the loss Monday night at Richmond, they really struggled to get key defensive stops at, at various points in time. And they really were able to come up with a lot of really important stops tonight, especially in overtime as well. Yeah, so uh, on Monday, obviously, Richmond and Mason played each other uh, in Richmond, and uh, and the Spiders came away from that one 62-59. to 59. If I'm not mistaken, one of these games this week was a makeup game, right? Yes, the Monday night game was. The Monday night game was. Okay, so, you know, it, that's why we, we had such a quick turnaround for this for this, what should be a season series. Uh, but I think it's it's really, you know, something that, that gives us kind of a, a unique perspective on both of these two teams, especially as we'll probably see them really, you know, jockeying for the, for that top four spot uh, in the conference tournament. So Daniel, you know, as they, as they split this series in two very close games, both separated by three point margins. uh, What is, what does this one in one series say about Mason? And what does this one in one series say about Richmond? I think the biggest takeaway and forgive me, this is a stupid take, but Josh Adoro is George Mason. I don't think that there's so much of a question about this. I, I tweeted this out after Mason lost to LaSalle. Mason with Josh Adoro is a top four contender. Mason without Josh Adoro could be a bottom four team in this conference. Probably not. Probably a little bit harsh. But, I mean, that is the difference that Josh Adoro brings to the lineup. And, I mean, he was the only guy that, was, that looked fresh tonight at, at, at points in time because, obviously – the other nine guys on the floor had played, you know, less than 48 hours ago down at the, the Robin Center. And Josh Oduro was fresh as a daisy because he didn't play, you know, on Monday night uh, due to that concussion that he, he unfortunately had. And, you know, I mean, 22 and 14 he had tonight. I'd, I'd say he looked okay, all things considered. Um, that's really my takeaway for Mason. And then you asked for Richmond. Uh, when Golden is, is able to get going, it really helps. But Jacob Gilliard was really held in check tonight. I mean, yeah, he had 13 points. 11 assists is obviously a nice stat line, but he didn't feel just as much of a dominating force as he really seemed to feel like on Monday night. 
Yeah, I mean, and with I, I want to talk about Odoro and 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 Golden specifically in a second, but I think when you look at um when you look at Gilliard and his effectiveness, I mean, obviously he's 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 the one of the best, if not the best, true point guards in the Atlantic Ten, right? Sure. Uh, and you know everything that a, a, a true point guard has to do, he did well tonight. I mean, he got thirteen points, eleven assists. Um, you know, he's dishing the ball, he's scoring when his team needs it, but something with Gilliard specifically, and this is why he is the like NCAA all-time leader in this category is Gilliard is at his best when he is forcing turnovers, getting steals against his opponent and completely disrupting their game plan. And so that was kind of the Achilles heel for Gilliard and Richmond tonight in that Mason really, I think, kept their composure. Just eight turnovers, Richmond committed 14. In an overtime game is really not bad at all. Yeah, committing under 10 turnovers in college basketball in the Atlantic 10, I mean, that is like that is like a gold star performance. You know what I mean? So I think when you look at something like that, I mean, that's, that is how you limit a guy like Jacob Gilliard. You, you limit him off the ball. But, you know, as you mentioned, I mean, I think the tail of the tape really went down to those two guys that you mentioned before, Josh Odoro and Grant Golden. So their stat lines real quick, Odoro, 22 points, 14 rebounds, five assists. Grant Golden, 23 points, eight rebounds, one assist. I mean, you know, you mentioned, you mentioned, you know, how, how much of an impact Josh Odoro has on the floor for George Mason um, and, and the difference that this team that you see in this team when he's on the court versus when he's off the court. I mean, what about Grant Golden though? Grant Golden had a great had a great uh, a game tonight. I really thought he was the driving force for Richmond uh, at a lot of points throughout the game. Um, I'm just looking at the box score from Monday night and kind of comparing it to tonight, just backing up one step. Mason had 16 turnovers on Monday night, and Richmond only had seven. And it's really interesting how that kind of mirrored and flipped tonight. Um, but a- again, conversely, I mean, Tyler Burton had, had 14 on Monday night. Gilliard had 23 points. Uh, for Richmond on Monday night, and I think really you saw the difference tonight. But yeah, no, absolutely. Talking about Grant Golden, he had a, he, he had a tremendous night. I think the one thing that that really suffered in his game tonight was he he could not hit a three to save his life. <laughs> he had, took a couple really ugly ones. I mean, he was, you know, it, it was not his night. Let's just say that he was two of five from three, um, nine of fifteen from the floor. It's not bad. I mean, he, he had a a pretty decent night. He didn't have as many rebounds, I think, as Richmond have liked. He only had two offensive rebounds, six defensive freight boards total. Um, had one assist, two turnovers. I mean, it's not a bad night in the office by any means. Um, and I really thought, especially in the second half, Grant Golden at times felt like, like that was the point I thought Richmond truly was going to run away with the game. They had, when they built their, the lead that they were able to build in the second half, and I really did not feel confident at the time Mason was going to pull this out. And it was because Golden was just exposing, especially when, uh, Blake Jones was in the game guarding him when Mason tried to get Joshua Duro a breather. I really, really thought that Golden just went at him and, and they got a matchup they liked and, and they they were able to take advantage of it. Now, this next question I want to kind of tread lightly on because it's not something that I think is is should be that important when breaking down a game. Uh, you know, I think you should focus on, on players' performance more than like a referee's performance. But late in the game, and I and I want you to stay neutral. I know, I know you were, I know you were at that game as a as a Mason fan, but tonight you're, you're, you're an A-10 talk podcaster. So, you know, could you talk about like what was going on with a lot of those, like those, con- 
do you I'll feel like there were some controversial calls like i mean like there was one out of balance call and of course like i'm watching this on tv so i might yeah. have some sort of edge that you don't but you know there were there was like one out of balance call that was like called against mason then it was called against richmond and then it was turned back i mean what did it look like to you? I mean, and how did the student section kind of react to a lot of what was going on there? <laughs> the one, I, I think I know the call that you're referring to because the the baseline referee was the one that made the call initially and he gave it to Richmond. The The referee across from the Mason bench was the one that inevitably ended up ter- overturning him because the, 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 the referee in front of the Mason bench, if I remember correctly, said it was tipped and it was... I have never seen three officials disagree with each other before in my life because theoretically, you know, there's only one way or another that call can go. There's not three opinions. There. No, I, I, I will be completely honest. Last play of regulation. I saw it live. I haven't seen a replay of it yet. I frankly thought Mason fouled just straight up mm-hmm. last play of regulation. But what I really want to know from your perspective, Sam, seeing it on TV, because I didn't have a clue that what the hell was happening how was their 0.7 seconds on the clock that they found to put back on at the end of overtime? And was there really a foul on Javon Cooper? And if there was, how was it not two shots to Richmond? What was the call there? Well, uh, so what happened? What is, was the call on the floor? So Richmond had the ball with like, what, 12 seconds left down three and Mason played good defense. Richmond didn't get a great look. And Mason got what looked like a defensive rebound and ran out the clock to end the game. Yes. And this, the fans are celebrating, the band starts playing, and all of a sudden, the whistles, the referees are blowing their whistles, and they go review something, and they come up with 0.7 seconds in a foul on Davon Cooper. And I have no idea what, how, or what occurred there. Yeah, that, that was not, that didn't look like a foul. I mean, there was, there was like some, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's one of those things where it's like up to your discretion, like what you think is a foul and what you think is not a foul. Because look, there was, bodily contact i it think it was a physical game play. it was a physical yeah, game there but it, it wasn't you know in in my personal opinion like bodily contact doesn't always constitute the foul sure you know what i mean so he he they they might have collided hands there but it wasn't in the sense where it was like he was actively trying to block the shot i mean he was trying to get out of the way so i mean if they call a foul there they call they don't call a foul there i mean it, it, it's it's one of those things where it's like i can i can see what you're getting at but I really don't think it was enough to maybe, you know, have a huge influence on, on the outcome of that game. But, yeah, you know, it was weird because the shot that Richmond got off. Now, luckily Mason made them kind of double clutch it, which I don't even think it would have counted just based off of time if it had gone in, but Richmond got a decent look there on the, on the last chance that they got with that 0.7 seconds. Yeah, no, no doubt. Um, something that I thought was very interesting that they kind of made a big point about on the broadcast kind of made it like a storyline uh of this entire game for mason specifically is how mason um you know really focuses on their shot selection uh they put a clip from from coach kim english basically saying that not that he doesn't have faith in his guys to shoot a mid-range shot but that you know josh oduro and deshaun schwartz are really the only guys that he wants to that he thinks that he is comfortable with just, you know, chucking up a mid-range shot. And they kind of broke down their, their shot selection by zone and, and talking, you know, talking about effective field goal efficiency, uh, field goal percentage. Um, Mason has really just been like a right under the rim or a top of the key shooting kind of team. And 
in your opinion, I mean, how has this worked or not worked for Mason so far this year? And the biggest thing that stands out to me that's different from this team about this team from the previous three years that I've been a student at Mason is the amount of threes that not only they're taking, but they're hitting. I mean, Mason hit 14 threes tonight. Mm -hmm. Um, I I could probably count on one hand during the Dave Paulson years (laughs) that Mason hit like double digit threes. Like it just didn't feel like it was a thing that like there was like the one odd Javon green game he had against Richmond where like he had like 40 points or something that was crazy. But like, I mean, Mason just wasn't, well, first and foremost, Mason didn't have an identity under Dave Paulson. And I think that was the biggest problem. Um, but but you're, you're absolutely correct in, in their shot selection. It's interesting. I mean, it does seem at times from, from the different perspectives I've seen of you know, being in the, uh, the stands as a fan, sitting behind the bench as media, um, just the different ways I've gotten, different lenses I've gotten to view this team throughout the year, how English has evolved as a head coach. And um, he, I mean, he really, it's like he, he's, conducting an orchestra at times I think I'd like to liken it to uh in the way that the Mason offense functions he's basically calling this the plays as it happens and he's telling his guys almost sometimes when to shoot when not to shoot um there was a point in the second half tonight where I thought he about tackled Davon Cooper trying to to move him to a different part of the court which I don't even know if it's legal or not um but it's interesting he's a lot more involved and it's almost like he's playing the game from the sidelines um, than I think most coaches I've seen. It's, it's interesting. Yeah, and and to talk about, so like you said, uh, games in which they hit double-digit threes. I mean, they hit that pretty easily tonight. They were uh, they were 14 for, excuse me, sorry, I just had something with my computer go weird. They were 14 for 34 from, from three-point range tonight. That's 41.2%. So that's, that's, that's pretty good. Uh, and aside from, you know, being being solid at just shooting threes in general, I think something that I've noticed when watching George Mason, I mean, I saw it against Richmond tonight, but I think it was especially exemplary in, in their win over Bonaventure. I'm sure you could agree with me is they know how to hit a three at exactly the right moment they need. It. Absolutely. And that's not Absolutely. something that's that's not something that like you kind of plan out. I mean, that's 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 maybe a take that's more of a, a fan's perspective or just a viewer's perspective than a player coach's perspective. Cause you know, in, in reality, you always need a three, you always need to hit a shot every possession you play. But every time that, that Bonaventure, you know, would, would try and close the gap against Mason all those weeks ago. I mean, they really, you know, they would, they would hit a three to, you know, stay up 10 points and, and completely halt any Bonnie's momentum. So that's something I had to give like huge, huge, huge props to for, for Mason. So, and I think the other thing too tonight that that really was a difference, especially over Monday night as well. Mason was thirteen of fifteen from the line. I mean, in a game like this, a one possession game, going thirteen of fifteen from the line will win you a lot of ball games. Especially when, by contrast, Richmond was twelve of seventeen, and what uh, Nathan K was four of eight from the line. He was horrible. His his form looks terrible. I gotta say. I mean, <laughs> in a game like this, that that could have and arguably was the difference. Yeah. And so you look, actually, I wanted to pull this up. This is what I was trying to pull up before. Obviously it's not something we can show in the podcast, but maybe I'll, I'll, I'll try and throw a screenshot of it somewhere uh, on the A-10 talk, just as a supplementary thing. If you look at um, Mason's shot chart uh, in this game against Richmond, I mean, it's, it's so concentrated. It's almost like, it's almost like a, you know, an NBA level uh, shot chart in terms of, you know, how, like where they're shooting the ball from. 
um, and Richmond's it's, it's, there's pretty, there's a lot, um, there's a lot more, uh, it's, it's way less concentrated than Mason's. There's, there's a bit more shooting, you know, at mid range, some, some good stuff, mostly from Tyler Burton. I mean, Tyler Burton is probably their most effective shooter from, from mid range for Richmond, but I mean, with, with, with Mason, it's just a big block right under the hoop and just, and then just everything else around the arc. Which you know, to their credit, I mean, works. It, it it works very well. We saw it saw it tonight. Um, so going forward, I mean, Mason. If you're looking at the if you're looking at the standings in the A10 right now, Mason is a half game back uh, of behind Richmond for fifth place in the conference. Do you see anything on their schedule that uh, can help Mason? You know, kind of sneak into the top four. I think it starts definitely Saturday with VCU. I mean, anything that they can get, any help that they can get, it's obviously going to be really useful. Um, I, I think more than anything else, Mason's just got to win. Mason's really got to win probably every game left on the schedule aside from the second time they play VCU and Davidson. Um, because they're – so the schedule left is they play home against VCU on Saturday at St. Joe's the following Wednesday – uh, then at Fordham, at VCU, home against GW, which is a revenge game from when they lost at the Smith Center on MLK Day, at Davidson, and then home versus UMass. George Mason really can afford only two losses in there. I guess at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter who those two losses are, given that it's, you know, they're not <laughs> they're not looking they're not a bubble team, so it doesn't really matter. Um, but in the in, if we're if we're going to quantify it, I would say they can afford two losses. Um, the other thing that I, I'm kind of still waiting to see and i don't know if the a10 said anything publicly mason's still missing two games on their schedule um they have a home game against rhode island and a road game at duquesne that still are not back on the schedule and as well the other men's game is gw st bonaventure which as gw is now shooting up the standings gw is half a game back st bonaventure and that game could matter so it'll be interesting to, I, I, I mean, the A-10 is running out of racetrack if they're going to put games back on the schedule, but these games that are not currently on the schedule could very well matter. Yeah. So, I mean, that's going to be crucial coming down the stretch. I mean, I know we've been saying it for a long time that, that this February is going to be one of the craziest Februaries I think we've ever seen in the Atlantic 10 in college basketball in general, but I think it's specifically in the Atlantic 10 with all these teams so close to each other in the standings, trying to trying to make up those games to get that final seating in. But before we get into that, you know, later on this season, let's talk about uh, like what you were just kind of alluding to before with George Washington, 77-68 over UMass tonight. They improved to five and five in conference play. Uh, you know, just a big game for the Colonials. Uh, and they did it. They did it in Amherst, too. So that's that's also huge. Uh, James Bishop, 24 points. You know, Daniel, I feel like we were talking about it in kind of the, the a 10 talk, you know, kind of circle earlier today that a lot of those UMass fans that we know were pretty frustrated, have been pretty frustrated with this team. And we're especially frustrated with this performance, but you chimed in and we're like, maybe George Washington is just a lot better than everyone's giving them credit for. And so do you think this game kind of proves that? I mean, first and foremost for UMass fans, the sky may indeed be falling. I, I think we can't take that away from them. <laughs> I obviously didn't see the GWMS game because I was at the Mason game. However, from the reaction I saw on Twitter, the sky seemed to be falling for them. And I, I don't see how Matt McCall is head coach 
after this season. Frankly, you, there's a case to be fire him tonight, but I don't think they'll do that. But I mean, I think that's the first that's the first point. But but secondly, I I think GW is a better team than people really want to give them credit for. I mean, I I made a point on on what Monday I think on Twitter um, that I was kind of getting crucified for. Um, you know, uh, Atlantic Teen put out you know their bracket prediction of where they thought you know things were going to shake out, and they put GW as eleven, and I I was you know I, that was the one objection I really had to what their projection was. I said I think you know, GW was in eighth at the at the moment, and you know, I really don't know if I see them finishing below 10th. Then, you know, they kind of replied back to me with what Ken Palm's prediction was, which only had one win the rest of the way. And I was like, look, GW can realistically finish 8-8 this season. They have, you know, games left against, well, at the time, games left against UMass, Duquesne, twice, and Fordham, which are the bottom teams of the conference, by and large. And they already beat Fordham once. Not to not to say the Fordham's a rollover anymore, because they certainly are not. No, but, I think I think the conversation is very similar. Is very similar between for Fordham. sure. Obviously, like Fordham's record this year right now doesn't is not as good as 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 probably where as you want this team to be. You know, people keep saying, Oh, this is a much better Fordham team. Oh, this is a much better Fordham team. And it is, but they're still three and seven in conference play. So they still got a long way to go. Um, but I, I, I do feel the same way about Fordham when I when I do see, uh, you know, Twitter before pregame for a lot of teams where it's like, oh, my God, like if Fordham puts up a fight against us today, like say you're like a Dayton fan, right? Yeah. Uh, no offense to Dayton fans. I just, you know, there's there's annoying fans in every fan base. But it's like I see tweets that it's like, oh, my God, like if Fordham puts up a fight against the Flyers <laughs> today, like I don't even know what's going to happen with this team. It's like, look, you know. This ain't your granddad's Fordham. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. So, you know, any, you know, you should be mad about a loss no matter who it is. I mean, I don't think, like, you know, losing to a worse team in the Atlantic 10 is just going to make, is just going to make your team any better or worse. (laughs) Makes it almost out. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, you know, what, what is the ceiling for this George Washington team? I know I've asked you this before, but I think, Every time I've asked you this, the answer keeps it's changing. a little higher. It's shifting a little higher every week. I mean, God, we are sitting here on the night of recording this February 9th, 2020. George Washington men's basketball is five and five. And more to the point is half a game behind the St. Bonaventure Bonnies. I mean, if you had told me before the season with all the expectations, all the hype that St. Bonaventure had, that GW was going to be half a game behind St. Bonaventure on February 9th. I would have called you insane. And St. Bonaventure, you know, not, not to discredit St. Bonaventure, because they actually have been looking a lot better. They, they, they looked a lot better against Fordham than they had in any of their other games the past two weeks. But, I mean, they still got a long way to go. Before sure. they're back in that conversation, but, but I mean, yeah, on paper, yeah. like they're a much, they should be a much better team than George Washington. But they're they're a half game. They're only a half. Game I mean, ahead. at this point, well, more than anything else, I really want that GW Bonham game to get scheduled just to see what's going to happen. Because I mean, hell, GW gave Davidson a hell of a game, you know, last Saturday, and the game would be at the Smith Center if it's played, you know, as it was originally scheduled to be. I, yeah, I'm not saying Jimmy would beat Bonham, but it, it would be kind of fun to know how they, you know, how they, how they match up. I, I mean, at this point, I think I would be over the moon if GW avoids the pillow fight. I think that is, that is my goal for this team. That is my realistic goal. 
And I think it's doable. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's one of those things where it's like right, right now they're in, they're in eighth place. One, two, three, four. Yeah. They're in eighth place in the conference. So right now they, they are out of the pillow fight. So it's not one of those things where it's a goal for them to get to. It's one of those things where it's like, it's something that they can't fall out of. Yeah. You know and they I mean? got so, a cushion too. Cause St. Joe's lost and UMass lost. So they've got a bit of a cushion there. Yeah. There's a lot more pressure, but I think, I think it's good pressure that can only, you know, help this team going forward. Yeah, for sure. And I know we were talking about it before. I know obviously you didn't get a chance to watch the game, but uh, the George Washington women's team got their first a 10 win tonight. Shout out. And you know, they beat Duquesne who's not a bad team. The Dukes had really been searching as of late and it looked like Dan Burt might be riding the ship and then, but shout out to Carolyn McCombs and, and the GW Women's Colonials. I mean, getting that first A-10 win, I know it feels good. It was heartbreaking for me to a degree to watch, you know, Mason's first win because that was such a big story for Mason to lose, you know, like 20-odd games straight in conference play and finally get it done against GW. I really didn't want GW to have the same season that Mason had had, you know, last year. And I am so thrilled for that group of girls. I mean, it, they're I know some of them, they're all just really great people. And I'm really just happy for them. I know that one feels really good tonight for them. Yeah. And that's going to be a great game, you know, to kind of carry into the weekend as they, or, or you know, after the weekend, as they play St. Louis in kind of a late game on Monday. Uh, but as we talk about that, Daniel, you know, going into this weekend, what are you checking out uh, in, in terms of the A-10 slate? Well, first of all, on the women's side, we got some really entertaining games. Um, first and foremost, we got Dayton VCU on the women's side on Super Bowl Sunday. Am I allowed to say Super Bowl on the podcast? I don't know. Hope we don't. Who get knows? Who knows? <laughs> but anyway, Dayton VCU is going to be a lot of fun, and then a Rhode Island Fordham is going to be an excellent game. Um, those are three of the four probably at large teams that the A10 is looking at getting right now, um, or at least that are in the conversation. Those are probably your three front runners in in Dayton, Rhode Island, and Fordham. And then I think UMass is still very much in that conversation. They have Duquesne, so it's less exciting game. That should be a, a pretty good win for UMass. Um, but uh, on the men's side, um, I mean, heck, Mason VCU is going to be a lot of fun. It's homecoming for Mason, which is always a big game. It always gets a good crowd. Um, maybe it's a homer pick, but I, I think it's probably one of the more attractive games of the weekend. I mean, Friday 10 is going to be fun. I mean, St. Louis, St. Bonaventure. That should be a pretty good game. We'll see, you know, I think it'd be a good test for the Bonnies to see if they're really getting themselves back on the right track or not. And St. Louis can really do themselves a lot of favors by, you know, in, into getting close to clinching that top four seed um, by winning that game. But I, I think those are two of the best games of the weekend. What, what are your picks for this weekend, Sam? I mean, you kind of, you kind of hit the nail on the head for a lot of the ones that I was checking out. Um, Friday at 10 is going to be really good. Obviously St. St. Bonaventure for St. Louis, I mean, if I can kind of gripe for a moment, though, can we get a better time slot for women's Friday 10? Why is, why is George Mason taking on UMass? At well, it is a rescheduled a game. Okay. It is a rescheduled game, but it's 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 a really terrible way that it works out for UMass because they played tonight at, at 6 or 7 o'clock tonight at St. Bonaventure on the road, tonight being Wednesday night. They're playing Friday at noon, so less than 40 hours later. And then, again, UMass has got to go – and play again Sunday afternoon at home against Duquesne. So the grand two of those three games are, are you know, home games, but that's a, that's a really brutal stretch with some, with the rescheduled game added in there for, for UMass. So, you know, especially their, their margin of error is razor thin right now in terms of getting the at-large bid. Um, those, are, those are some really interesting games for UMass. I think it'll be a good test of their medal. 
you know what they should do to make that game a little bit a little bit better you know to make to make up for the fact that it's 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 on a friday at noon they would do this at at fordham uh at least like once a year where they would have like a tuesday came at like 11 in the morning and they would they would bus in kids from like every local elementary school to root for fordham and just go absolutely insane i love it you know when you're like when you're like 10 and you're getting out of school, like you're going to, you're going to go great day. For everything. Right. And before the game, I remember this because I was, I was on site producing for WFUV and um, they were like, all right, guys, like before we bring in the players, like we need to like break down, like what you're going to do in this game. Like every time they hit a free throw, you have to go absolutely insane. <laughs> they were like, the kids were like, yeah, like we're going to do that. We're so, going to go freaking crazy. From an audio, from an audio standpoint, uh, you know, as someone like working in radio, and I'm sure for the commentators too, I mean, that game was an absolute nightmare. Like, it was, it was so loud, the shrill like, screaming. Yeah, in a way that is like not loud for like any other game that I've ever covered. But you know, just as like a, like as an experience, it was so funny. Like, oh, it was, for sure, it was hilarious, and I, I. I I wish they keep doing more of those in the future. So maybe we'll see that on Friday. Probably not, but you know, they should, but anyway, you know, a a big slate aside from the ones that you hit on, I'll probably definitely be, I'll obviously be checking out Fordham versus Duquesne at five 30. I think that'll be a great way for Fordham to kind of get back into the swing of things. Not a guaranteed win. Of course, you know, nothing's guaranteed in the Atlantic 10, but um, you know, it's a, it's a winnable game for Fordham. Um, I think they might've dropped, one or two games so far that I do think were winnable. I, I honestly do. I mean, George Washington, obviously we've said on this, on this podcast is a good team, but Fordham is also a good team at the same level as George Washington. So that was a winnable game. So, you know, hopefully this game against Duquesne, they'll kind of write the ship St. Joe's versus UMass. I've kind of been liking St. Joe's lately. We didn't touch on it, but they, they took Davidson down to the wire tonight in overtime and only lost by six points. So, you know, to see what they can do against a team like UMass to maybe just, you know, help their tournament seating, that's going to be very, very interesting. But other than that, I mean, I think we've got a great slate. And so, you know, if you want to keep checking back for all updates on all of these games and more for your favorite 14 teams in college basketball, keep checking out A10Talk.com, A10Talk on Twitter. Follow all of your favorite analysts and pundits and uh, keep checking back here. So for Daniel Frank, I'm Sam Basil, and we'll catch you next time.